Well, as I said, we're going to conclude what we've called our summer series, going through some of the Psalms. We obviously have not done every Psalm, and uh, maybe next summer we'll take that back up and maybe do some more. Uh, But we're going to conclude today with Psalm 95. I've entitled this, Worship Our Great God and King. One thing lacking... Uh, among Christians today, and maybe this is not just today, but one thing lacking among Christians is an accurate and vivid view of who God is. We need the majority of our time, especially in the scriptures, we need to spend that time looking for God. So, well, it's not hard to find. He's right there looking for God to see who he is. What is his character? What is his nature? How shall we respond to this God? How shall we posture ourselves to this God? And, of course, the Psalms help us do that a lot. Now, uh, this is one of those Psalms that there is, among some circles, there's some question about who the author would be. We know that most of the Psalms are written by David. Some of them are written by Asaph. Some are written by the sons of Korah. There's even some of the Psalms that are written by Moses. Um, so Charles Spurgeon, we consider to be a great preacher of yester, of yesteryear. Charles Spurgeon believes, based on Hebrews 4, 7, that David wrote this Psalm. I'm going to go with Spurgeon. How about y'all? Yeah, Spurgeon's good. Well, Hebrews 4, 7, the writer of Hebrews said, we get from David, and he quotes this psalm. So we'll take from that that this is written by David. So David is a guy who understands difficulty. David is a guy who understands the king chasing you, trying to kill you. David understands King Saul chunking a spear in your direction. And he wasn't trying to just get close. He understands. I mean, there's a lot of the Psalms. If you go read them, a lot of the Psalms is David saying to God, hey, these people are after me. Can you do something? And yet his response, his posture towards God is to write a Psalm like 95. This Psalm gives us the invitation to gather together and sing praises unto the Lord. I don't know if Sean looked at my notes this week on the Uversion app, but this is the house of God. Come on in and worship. What a, what a great song to begin with. This is the Lord's house. This house belongs to him. But you know what? What makes this the Lord's house today is because you and I are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And we gather together in this room and it becomes the Lord's house. And we come in here to worship. In some ways and in some circles, there are some today who are trying uh, to uh, devalue the gathering together uh, and worshiping and praising God. There are some who say that's not necessary. And it certainly isn't necessary to be in a a traditional church house with a steeple. I mean, I don't care if you're just gathering on Friday nights with three couples. Gather together. Worship God together. David gives us that invitation, and he teaches us that celebration brings us to a posture of humility. We'll see the direction of this psalm that will bring us. 
And then we'll learn the lesson from a rebellious generation. Not that we are, but we'll learn from another one. A rebellious generation. And, of course, that lesson is really the importance of hearing God. Hearing God. I don't just mean in an audible voice, although I'm for it. But I mean hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit and knowing that God has dropped something in your spirit. Now, if you haven't already, if you would turn to Psalm 95, and I'm going to read all 11 verses. I'm going to read from the English Standard Version. And if you would stand while we read the Scripture, Psalmist goes begins with, O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into His presence with thanksgiving, and let us make a joyful noise to Him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. In His hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are His also. The sea is His, for He made it, and His hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker, for He is our God. And we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. And today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For 40 years I loathed that generation and said, They are a people who go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. Therefore I swore to my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. You can be seated. This, uh, this psalm is really divided into two parts. And the first part uh, is verses 1 through 7. We call it 7a. Uh, and then the second part will be 7b through 11. In the first part, David brings us to this place of worship our king. Seeing our king and worshiping our king. And he says, let's come, come. And over says, let's gather together. Whatever, again, as I alluded to earlier, whatever the formation is, whatever the size is, whatever the location is, none of that's really important. It, what's important is that we gather. Come, let us sing praise. He says, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise. Now, in a little bit, I'll Try to define for you what a joyful noise is. He said, sing, make a joyful noise. Second Chronicles says the Levites and the Kohathites and the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord. Did you see they stood up? Now, you don't have to stand up to praise God, just like you don't have to stand up to read the Scripture. We just do it. It's not a rule. It's just something we do. They stood up to praise the Lord and the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. Now, I'm not a Pentecostal, never been a Pentecostal. My my papers are Baptist. I am a tongue-talking charismatic, but I'm not, I'm not about loud stuff. I'm not, a, I'm not running up down the aisles, you know, jump on the chairs. I was in a meeting one time. The preacher come running down the aisles and jumped up on the chairs and started praying for people in the next row. My wife said, if he comes one step closer, I'm running for the door. <laughs> But a lot of people get to heaven, they're going to be miserable. You read Revelation. It's loud. There's, there's, some, there's some rejoicing going on. Not loud for the sake of loud. Loud because so many people are praising God. These guys stood up and they rejoice. And it says they praise the Lord with a very loud voice. 
Now, some noises aren't joyful. (laughs) I'll leave that alone. (laughs) Joyful noise, celebrating God. Psalm 98, 4 says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sometimes we just complicate this Christian thing too much. How about we just simplify it? To let's break forth into joy song and sing praises to God. What happens when you praise God is you exalt God. You cannot praise God without exalting God, without lifting Him up. And what did He say? If I be lifted up, draw me. Praises. I'll come back to that. But He says this let us sing, make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. I want to remind us today of what we already know, but I want to remind us today that Jesus is our rock, to our rock and the rock of our salvation. The psalmist said, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Don't look for deep, dark revelations of Scripture There's some there, but what about the simplicity that God is your rock and he is your refuge? Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. You've heard that in a song. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. Do you think we have any enemies today? If If you don't think that, you just woke up today. Just as the guy said, you just fell off of a banana boat or I don't know. Lead me to the rock. Sing praises. Make a joyful noise to the rock. Everybody say rock Rock. of our salvation. A rock is something that's solid, sturdy, stable, immovable. That's a rock. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other is sinking sand. In the New Testament, we find out exactly what's going on. First, First Corinthians says, For they, the children of Israel, drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. No question. No question this morning, as we make a joyful noise, as we are instructed to make a joyful noise by David, by the psalmist, no question about who we're talking about, but we're talking about Jesus Christ. Imagine wandering around the desert, with Jesus himself following you. It's great. Listen to this. It's great for us to have a salvation that includes a rock. Even more pointedly, it's great for us to have a salvation that includes the rock. The rock of ages. Our rock, the Lord Christ. And regardless of what we face, we, we don't know. I've wondered for years. You know, I used to say, scare people to death, but I used to say, what, what would happen if one day the government said to us, you can't meet? And everybody go, ha, 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 ha. What if you live in California? Thank God we have a governor in this state who let us meet. Well, I used to say, what would happen If we couldn't meet together on Sunday morning, could we still be a church? 
And the answer to that came when for six weeks, eight weeks, we didn't meet on Sunday morning. And we, we answered the question, could we, and, the, and what I told you then was if we couldn't still be a church, then we're not a church now. Hmm. It's great to have salvation with a rock. That it includes a rock. He says, come into his presence with thanksgiving. How, what a simple, what a simple little instruction. You say, well, I'm feeling kind of dry. I'm feeling, I'm just feeling, I mean, all of us go through this. I mean, everybody goes through times when they're just a little dry and just everything, you don't feel like you're going to be jumping through spiritual hoops anytime soon. How do you get out of that? Come into his presence with thanksgiving. If, and I said this a few weeks ago, if you will begin to thank God, everything that comes to your mind, begin to thank God for everything and everyone, wife, children, husband, brothers, sisters, job, everything. Thank you. Yeah, food. Thank you, Howard. I like to eat. You can tell by looking at me. Everything. You just, the, and the longer you do that, the more you will find yourself in the presence of God because you have moved yourself out of the way. And, you know, Pogo said, we have met the enemy and he is us. You move yourself out of the way. Psalm 100, words that come into his gates with thanksgiving. Gates is the place of authority. Into his courts with praise. Then he says in verse Two. We've already, we're already at verse 2. <laughs> okay, hang on there. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him. How do you make a joyful noise to him? With songs of praise. Songs of praise. And here's the key. Songs of praise of him. The praise is of him. We're celebrating God himself. You know, we've we've talked recently about some of the some of the songs that are are being used in, today in uh, worship services. I assume they're worship services. Sometimes when you listen to these songs, you you wonder who's worshiping who. Is are we worshiping God or or are we singing songs that paint God as worshiping us? And some of the songs that are sang today, not any we do. No, as a matter of fact, if they, we did, we'd nix it. But uh, fortunately, I've never had to nix but one or two songs over the 20 years I've been the pastor here. And that, and that wasn't a big deal. But some of the songs uh, leave me with the impression that, man, it, God's pretty he's fortunate they got me. <laughs> How many of you know God, God got nothing when he got you? Nothing. Bob Mumford used to talk about somebody would come to him uh, to try to commit themselves to him as their pastor and their mentor. And he said it was like somebody coming with a paper garbage bag that was soaked in the bottom. And they'd come, I want to present this to you, Bob. And of course, you know, the bottom falls out. All the garbage comes flowing around. You know, how much good does that do? Who are we worshiping? 
but with joyful noise, with songs of praise that celebrate God and worship God. And the direction of our focus is towards God. I, I said recently, I get nervous when we have too many songs, for, for that matter, any songs, but especially when we have too many songs that talk about me instead of God himself. And we have too many songs that the focus of the song is here instead of here. Because I'm going to tell you that the solution to our ills is not to focus on ourselves, but to exalt the one, the one and only God. And then he says, where we get our title, he says, it's terrible I got to have these to read. For the Lord, and this is a giant print Bible. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In other words, anything that you can attempt to exalt as a God in your life, and don't tell me we don't have them, every one of us have idols. They may not be little statues with fat bellies or anything like that, but all of us have things or people that we set up in our life above God. Oh, Lord, help me. God is a great God. God is a great king, and he is exalted over all of those things. Everybody say all. Okay. All of those things. We need to know that we serve and worship a great God. I don't mean great like Tony the Tiger. The frosted flakes are great. I mean great that his, I'll, I'll get to a quote in a moment. Well, look, if you're at Psalm 95, turn back to Psalm 93. Just, it's just a few verses I want you to read or click over on your phone or whatever. The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. Picture God robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. He has put on strength as his belt. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Why shall the world never be moved? Because God has established it. Your throne is established from of old. How old? We don't know. Perpetuity. You are from everlasting. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their roaring. Look at verse 4. Mightier than the thunders of many waters, mightier than the waves of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty. Your decrees are very trustworthy. Holiness befits your house, O Lord, forevermore. Great God. I want you to leave here today with a great God, greater than you walked in with. I want you to buy a book. I've told you this dozens of times, and a lot of you have. Your God is Too Small by J.B. Phillips. Grab that book. Because for most of us in the Western church, that's a problem that we have. Our God is too small because we have exalted ourselves and we've created this small God. And we see God as sitting over there in the corner, and he's there just in case we might need him. We try everything else, but he, he's, he's our spare tire. He's right over there in case we need. No, you start there. You start with God. Lord, help us. Asaph said, what God is great 
like our God? The answer is obviously none. David said, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. You can't even figure out his greatness. You can dig, you can read, you can, you can do anything you want to do, but you will never arrive at a conclusionary statement about the greatness of God because it is unsearchable. When he says it's unsearchable, it means it's past the capacity of the human mind to fully describe or comprehend his greatness. So do we, do we not try to seek God's greatness? No, we keep seeking, knowing that there is no end to our search. John Stott said, far above us, In his greatness, he is yet close to us in his goodness. Far above us in his greatness, we can't touch it, we can't expand on it, we can't search it out. But close to us, because of his greatness, close to us in his goodness, God is good. God is good no matter what's going on in your life. We we sang a song about Rejoicing during the storm. God's still good when the storm's going. So God's still good when things happen in our life that we would consider negative. God's still good. His goodness is still extended. I love verses 4 and 5. The, the Lord of creation, it says, In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are also his. The sea is his, for he made it. What logic is that? His hands form the dry land. It's all his. Then he goes, O come. First he said, O come, let us sing to the Lord. Now he says, O come, let us worship and bow down. O come, let us worship and bow down. Sometimes we sing celebratory songs, exalting songs. But if we're honest, that posture will bring us to a place that we recognize the greatness of God, the greatness of our King. And it causes us, even if we don't do it physically, it causes us to worship and bow down before that great God and that great King. As the sheep of His pasture, we are called as to worship. As the sheep of His pasture, that's what we do. We worship God. Because of our dependency on Him. It's just a logical thing to do. Because of the abounding, everybody say abounding, goodness and mercy towards us. And because of His redeeming kindness towards us, we worship God. We bow down. And when you bow down in someone's presence, you are acknowledging their greatness You're acknowledging their holiness. And true celebratory praise will bring us to an awesome view of God. We all need an awesome, everybody say awesome. We need an awesome view of God. So I'm going to recommend another book. I hope you like to read because if you don't, I'm just bothering you. Put that... uh, there's a book I've read several years ago. I think I've even recommended it. Is the next slide, William? 
There we go. All. Everybody, everybody go all. Now act like you've seen a little baby. Oh, why it matters for everything we think, say, and do by Paul David Tripp. Highly recommend that book if you want to gain or regain or reinforce an awesome view of who God is. You, you won't read that book and have a small God anymore. He, doesn't, he says to bow down, but he also says to kneel. Again, a posture of submission, a posture of deference, a posture of being subservient. Kneel. Before, why? Because he is our God. What does it mean that he's our God? He's our Savior. He's our Lord. He's our King. He's our Deliverer. There's a long list. All that comes under the banner of he's the master of the universe. King James calls him the great potentate. He made us. Psalm 100 says he made us. God made you. We're the people of his pasture. We're the sheep of his hand. We belong to him because he made us. Second part of the psalm begins in verse 7. Be today if you hear. Today if you hear. God, when God speaks, it's today. I know this is going to be kind of simple, but I'm kind of simple. When God speaks, it's going to be today. My pastor, Brother Charles Simpson, years and years ago uh, said this, hearing and seeing are the taproot for all spiritual productivity. Hearing and seeing. Hearing what God is saying by the voice of his Holy Spirit. Seeing what the Holy Spirit reveals to us out of the Scripture and in life. Hearing and seeing is where we become to be productive by the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit speaks, you will hear him say, today. The Holy Spirit does not speak yesterday. And even if the Holy Spirit speaks about tomorrow, he's still speaking today. I don't know where I found this. I'd like to take credit for it, but it doesn't matter. Yesterday is sentimentalism. Tomorrow is mysticism. Today's the only time we can hear and obey. See, we, us who are seeking the spectacular, we want to, we want to uh, hear tomorrow. We want to obey tomorrow. Today's the only day you can do that. It's like the, the sign when they opened up Joe's Crab Shack up in, in Goodlesville or Rivergate Mall, a friend of mine, friend of Lisa's, some of the others in the room, was the general manager of that store. And they had on the side of the building, free crabs tomorrow. Well, a lady went in there one day, I want my free crabs. And he said, ma'am, that's tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, but when I come in here tomorrow, yeah, I'm going to tell you they're free tomorrow. Yeah. No free lunches. Today is the only time we can hear and obey. And he said, do not harden your hearts. Do not harden your hearts because of what God has not done yet. 
Do not harden your hearts like the children of Israel. Do not harden your hearts because of what God has not done yet. They were upset because they had no water. Well, that'll make you upset. But they questioned God. I don't want to get political. Of course, you know already that I don't care if I do, but I'm not going to this morning. But a few weeks ago, a, a gentleman called me and said, Pastor Larry, could you agree with me on the phone for Phil Valentine and pray for him? I said, sure. And I did, and we prayed, and we talked. Of course, most of you know Phil passed away yesterday. And what did I say to God? Well, why did I bother to pray? No. You know what I said? God, you know better than I do. You know better than I do. I mean, again, I'm not trying to be political. I know some people are glad that he's dead. I saw somebody this morning happy that he died. Well, there's more than one. Well, yeah, forgive them, Lord. Well, they don't know what they do. But I, I just said, Lord, you know. You know. I don't know. And we have got to be able to trust God in that way. We want to we wanna get hard in our heart. Well, you know, I saw a movie recently with Dean Cain. The name of the movie is A Mile in His Shoes. I, I recommend it. It's on Up Faith and Family, so it's clean. His character, Dean Cain, by the way, is a believer, follower of Jesus. And this movie has some elements of Christian uh, virtue in it. But in the movie, of course, his son had passed away at a young age. And he said to a young man, the man upstairs and I have had some problems. I don't judge people for that. But we, we really need to be prepared in our hearts. When that difficult moment arrives, whatever it looks like. Now, some of you in this room have went through some of that. And I'm not judging anybody. And I'm not saying how easy it is. My life has been relatively easy, i got to tell you. Sometimes I worry that it's been too easy. But we've got to be prepared for that moment when God in our mind does not do what we wanted him to do, what we thought he was going to do. I started to say a while ago, there, I'd like to know how many thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people have been praying for Phil Valentine. I mean, it's just it's crazy how many people. And yet God chose to take him home. God knows. And so we can't harden our hearts. I'm using Phil Valentine's example, but that's not my point. We can't harden our hearts because of what God has not done. Because unbelief is the enemy of rest. Children of Israel could not go into the promised land because they could not trust God. They could not believe God. They could not believe that God knew more than they did. They could not believe that God would not hear what they wanted and do it. 
And God said, because you can't believe, then you're not going in. So they wandered around for 40 years till another generation came along who could go in to the promised land. The writer of Hebrews quotes this psalm in describing this experience and describing the fact that they could not go into this place of rest. Let me tell you where this place of rest is, saints. It's where you stop striving. It's where you stop straining. It's where you stop fighting. It's where you stop uh, trying to control and manipulate God and let God be God. It's where you trust God regardless. Regardless of what it looks like here, you trust God. You believe that God knows about you. You heard me quote a TV show from yesteryear. Most of you have never heard of and certainly seen. Father knows best. And that's what we have to do. If you get to the place that you can hold on to the rock of Father knows best, then you will not be disillusioned because you cannot be disillusioned unless you first have an illusion. And when we don't trust God, we create illusions. And we're angry when he doesn't meet up with those. What happens if you do not believe God? Well, then you start trying to take care of it. You start trying to handle things. You start trying to manipulate things and people. And you get frustrated because you can't. Or nothing responds the way you want it to respond. Or nobody responds the way you want it to respond. Unbelief is the enemy of rest. I'll end this message with Hebrews 4.1. It simply says this. The promise of his rest still stands. Saints, did you hear that? Worship team, come on. Come on back up. I want us to sing one more song. The, the promise of God's rest is still available. It still stands. You and I can enter into that rest because today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart today. Great God, great King, great Master, Great Lord, Savior, Healer, Deliverer, Master of the universe. We worship Him and we praise Him and we come into His presence with gratitude and thanksgiving. So let's join with the worship team this morning. I don't know what song you're going to do. We know it'll be a good one. But uh, let's stand and exalt God one more time together in song. Oh